Hi, I'm Lindsay Hislop and this is When I Grow Up, I Want To Be, the career podcast. For over 15 years now, I've been working with elite athletes, Olympians and other individuals, supporting them in their own personal and professional development. And from my experience, one of the methods to help with this guidance that has a huge positive impact is simply learning from others. And so here on this podcast, I have conversations with women in a range of jobs to gain an insight into what they actually do, how they got to be where they are, what their career journey has been like, and to hear what advice they would give to others that are interested in that career. Hopefully you're going to find these conversations interesting and enlightening, and they might be a good guide for you for when you're asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? In today's episode, I'm joined by an inspirational lady called Sally Orange. Sally's an endurance runner and an adventure athlete, and she has completed a marathon in every continent dressed as a piece of fruit. Sally's also a physio with over 20 years experience in the military. She's a mental health campaigner. She's run more than 80 marathons raising money for charity. And she's also recently been awarded her MBE. Sally treated me to a really honest conversation. Um, She explained how an accident which resulted in a broken leg was the starting point to her career. And she also shared the, the highs and the lows and hurdles, twists and turns that she's encountered and the routes that she took in her career and her passion for running as a mental health game changer is contagious. Her conviction that running can truly change lives, especially when it comes to mental health, is inspiring. So I hope you enjoy. Here goes. Sally, it's so great to uh, to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lindsay. Really Thank looking you. forward to this. So we've been trying to get a date in the diary for a few weeks. And um, one of the dates, you couldn't make the recording because you were in London collecting your MBE. Another date, you couldn't make the recording because you were back in London um, having a breakfast reception with a prime minister. So... I'm thrilled to be able to have some time with you. So, um, so thank you, thank you. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Thank you for your patience. It can be a bit of a crazy life sometimes. Wow. I mean, there's there's worse things to have to postpone stuff for. So, um, so no, thank you. Um, there's a few guests that I've had on the podcast that, although their routes to uh to their jobs may not have been linear, it it kind of goes off in different ways, different opportunities they've gone on to a job role, a career, um, thinking of kind of like a LinkedIn profile. Whereas for for you, you've had 22 years in the army as a physio. You're an adventure athlete, an inspirational speaker. You're a multiple world record holder and a mental health campaigner as well as lots of other stuff. So for for our conversation, I'm I'm really excited to hear the your career path. And I think what's interesting about that is that, you know, starting 22 years in the army as a physio, in itself, the route to be to one becoming a physio, two to being within within the military, 
that's just really, really interesting. And you don't always see a job advert for an adventure athlete. So it's that kind of question of how does one become an adventure athlete? So for you, it's um, I'm really, really looking forward to delving into your to your career path. So I guess to start, let's go back to the beginning. Let's start with um, right at the beginning of where did how how do you become all of the things that that you are now um what's yeah. your career journey been like right great question and as you say it's not probably something you would see in the careers office that uh you know you can become an adventure athlete mental health campaigner or inspirational speaker yeah. um but i would say that all of that has come back as you say from that starting point and that actually came from a, a real time of of adversity because it was I was the age of 16 and I had the day off school and I went ice skating for the day. And unfortunately, I broke my leg on that day um, and didn't come home for a month. I had to have surgery and metal work in my leg and then months and months of physiotherapy, which is where I first learned what a physiotherapist actually did. I think before that, I'd always wanted to be a nurse. Um, and at the time, this, you know, we're going back a good sort of you know, 40, 40 years or so. At the time, nurses were more of a sort of healthcare assistant. Nursing has progressed a lot now. And, you know, you, you could say that nurses are very similar to doctors with clinical specialists and all those things. But at the time, my mum said to me, you're... I, to be honest I wanted to be a doctor but my mum said you're, you're not really bright enough to be a doctor she said but I think you probably have more in you than just making beds and talking to patients and as I say nursing has changed a lot since then and so I found out about physiotherapy and thought well that's kind of um, you know it does it's not as much as a doctor you don't have as much responsibility but it is more than just being a healthcare assistant as they're called now so that gave me the inspiration of what I wanted to do and I became so driven to want to be a physio. Unfortunately because I had um, spent a lot of time in hospital when I broke my leg I didn't do very well at my A-levels. I struggled with any kind of test situation. Coursework I was absolutely fine with but as soon as you called something a test I went to pieces and I failed my A-levels um, and I thought well I've had a lot of time off school. I desperately want to be a physio. I'll resit them. So I decided to do another year of study. And the unfortunate thing was I actually did even worse that second oh, no. year than I did that first year because I put so much pressure on myself that I needed to get these grades. So I'd got good enough grades to actually go to university. And I thought, well, physio is obviously not going to be something I can do. Um, so I went to do radiography and started that and I suddenly was on my first placement. I was in the hospital and I thought I saw the physios and I thought that's that's what I want to do. I want to be wearing blue trousers, not brown <laughs> trousers. Um, and I thought, right, how can I go about this? I'm never going to be satisfied. And it turned out radiography wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. And I thought there's going to be someone in the world that probably wants to be a radiographer as much as I want to be a physio and I'm taking up that place so I left that uh, degree after six weeks we'd had a replacement as I say six weeks and I thought what degree can I do that will be a stepping stone to get me on to the physio degree 
So I was able to find a health, uh, health studies degree, it was a, a Bachelor of Science, which is what I'd looked into, I could get onto physio with. And I transferred universities, I'd been in Birmingham for the radiography, went to Leeds, and then thought, um, oh, they do physio at Leeds, so maybe I could transfer each year. You know, I'm in the same university. So I kept applying, and every year I applied, um, unfortunately, I got the letter, there was letters back in them days, that said, no, um, your grades aren't good enough. And I ended up finishing that health studies degree. So I'd got a degree out of it. And looking back, I'd actually had a whole degree where I'd had the summer holidays and I could go off and um, travel and use my experience. I went and worked in a kids camp in America and um, you know, different different things that I did there. And I think, well, actually, I was really lucky now. And then I finally apply, applied again, um, and I finally got a place to study physio because of that first degree that I had done. So if I hadn't finished that degree, I still wouldn't have had that stepping stone. So my degree was my stepping stone to the real degree that I actually wanted to do. So I first applied in 1991, got accepted in 97, three years training. And so in 2000, nine years later, I finally graduated as a physiotherapist and was just like, wow. And my mum had said, if you ever qualify as a physio in your graduation, I am going to be at the back shouting and cheering. <laughs> I'll let fireworks off because it has taken you so long to get there. Um, so in answer to your question, that's <laughs> how I, it's a long, complicated journey um, that actually started off because of breaking my, my leg. And the difficult thing I found at school was I knew exactly what I did want to do. Mm. I just couldn't get into it where there was a lot of people who didn't know what they wanted to do. Um, so we found ourselves in the in the same boat. You know, I, I just couldn't get into that, mm. you know, get onto that degree. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how that first happened. Well, there's so much resilience there, isn't there, of having the knockbacks those letters that come through you know you're not accepted but knowing that that's what you wanted to do um and I think it's really hard as well without being patronizing but at that age as well that when you do have a clear vision of what you want to do and that then there's barriers um it's really interesting that then you still went on to do a degree that you didn't necessarily even know that that would lead on to to being able to do physiotherapy but that was almost like the closest thing so yes. to gain experience there which and actually realizing it wasn't what I wanted to do you know yeah. I, I thought for me I didn't want to se settle for for what in my mind was second best and I'm not at all saying that that as a profession is secondary to to physiotherapy it was just not those true goals of what I wanted to yeah. achieve in mm -hmm. in helping people mm -hmm. um you know and helping people at their difficult times and I really felt that having been there that it would give me the empathy and the skills to understand how it feels to be helping someone else when they're in that that difficult position um thinking I'm never going to be able to learn to walk again um or yeah you know whatever their injury is um and actually having to go through all that setback all those setbacks 
ended up teaching me a lot that I could use when I was talking to patients and just different analogies that, you know, perhaps if they can't process what's happening, they can understand it when it's put in a different way. Because mm -hmm. that was one of the keys with, with physio was actually bonding with, with patients to be able to get the most out of them. Because if you didn't have that rapport, they're not going to get the best out of what you want them to do to be able to have their lives to go on and, and do what they can do in the future. Mm. And that's it because it can be a long, painful process if you're the patient. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know, you know, very much know that. And I sometimes <laughs> have patients that would say, it's all right for you. You don't understand. Oh, I'm trying to do this. And I, I would, you know, pull up my trouser leg and show them the great big scar and say, I've been exactly where you've been and their change in they were like oh oh you have you do understand I said I do understand and the reason I'm pushing you is because I know that you can do this and you will get there so yeah it it, it was my lowest point that took me to to drive me to know what I wanted to do which is just a life lesson in itself isn't it um, yeah and yet that was just that was just the start of your career. It um, was. You know, you've you've said it is that the nine years that it took you to become qualified, but that really was just the start of um of the beginning of, of your career journey. So what happened from there? What what was the next we, we you've you've talked about stepping stone before yeah. that degree? What was the next step that you took there? So a proud physio, um, I I actually took six months off because this had taken a long time. I took six months after I graduated and went traveling. I went to Australia and New Zealand um, because I had used a lot of time and energy to get to this place. And I thought I'm never going to get this opportunity or so I thought to, to go traveling around the world. So I took six months off and then applied to work as a junior physiotherapist in the NHS, um, did my junior rotations, which to this day I'm grateful for because you would do four months in so many different specialities. So I would literally go from amputees to women's health, to intensive care, to orthopedics, to um, stroke. There are just so many different um, junior rotations. And I probably was a junior longer than most people because I just thought this, this all gives you so much experience that, you know, you could think, well, how's women, women's health going to be a stepping stone? How's that going to help you in the army, which is what I went on to do. But there are females in the army that have problems <laughs> with their, um, you know, with their, their women's health, you know, their pelvic floor and all those things. So it, I would always draw on, on those. And when I, when I was in my, second year at university of the second degree I found out about something called the university's officers training corps and thought oh what, what's this and it was about the army um, and I had no military background whatsoever that I'd never done cadets my family aren't military I, you know I had no military background but I thought wow you get to go skiing and you can get to go mountaineering and climbing and you're part of a part of a team so I applied to, to join that. No surprise to you, actually, given my history that I didn't get in to begin with. I was actually on the reserve list for the selection weekend. Um, they had to go through quite rigorous tests. And luckily for me, someone didn't turn up. And so I got a phone call on the Friday afternoon saying, 
there is a place you know you can come on the weekend so I went thinking you know wow I'm I'm kind of bottom of the pile to even be getting onto this election weekend and so much to my surprise at the end of the weekend they said yep they put us into two halves and they said this half go into this room and this a bit like the x factor I was just thinking <laughs> that <laughs> this half go into that room you've not been and you didn't know which room you you were thinking oh. I'm like, well they were quite good so but it depends what they were looking at because I wouldn't have put them in that other room and I <laughs> got told I I was on the um the route that had been been selected um so started that journey um and that was just while I was training as a physio as well so the two skills kind of went hand in hand the leadership skills the the confidence building the working as a team um and yeah so then when I finally graduated I was you know I'd been doing that as a student but I then was able to do that in the territorial army so again sort of on a I say a voluntary basis which isn't quite true because you are actually paid and I think that's a a bit of a term you know I chose to do it on top of my civilian job as a as a physiotherapist so every weekend I'd be using those military skills I'd go away on exercise and then four years in uh, to my NHS job there came an opportunity to actually become full-time in the army as a reservist which is a little bit confusing okay. so I wasn't <laughs> in the wasn't in the regular army but I was there sort of helping patients who had been sent to Afghanistan and Iraq actually at the time it was Iraq um, but they came back injured and they needed to go back into their civilian jobs in the way that they'd been given to the army right okay so I had to get them fit again or part of a team that had to get them fit to go back to their role because they were also reservists okay Wow. So, yeah. So that came that came about and it was a newly established rehabilitation centre. Um, and we modelled it on what the regular army did. But there was different needs to these patients because they weren't going back into the regular army. They needed to go back to their job, maybe as an accountant or, a, you know, a lawyer or, a you know, cleaner, um, you know, it, all breadth of uh, skills. And, and things but their physical fitness is what they needed to go back so I started off as um, two IC so second in command and actually ended up in that role for seven years and yeah. ended up as the OC so the officer in charge but within that time I also went to Afghanistan um, and I was the first uh, reservist officer to head up a team of all sort of air force um, and army physiotherapists and exercise rehabilitation instructors. Wow. Wow. Gosh. And how long so, were you there for? Um, so I was in Afghanistan for three and a half months. Um, and that was that was towards the end of those those seven years. So I'd seen where a lot of these patients had previously been injured. Mm -hmm. um, and then I actually got to go and work in the hospital or sometimes I'd go out to Kandahar or to, um, uh, yeah, you know, um, I can't even remember the name. That, that's what my <laughs> age gets me. I'd go to Kabul and Kandah Kandahar and Lashkar and do sort of clinics in, in the smaller uh, places, but I was essentially based in the, in the field hospital in, in Camp Bastion. Um, but those, you know, those seven years within the time within the in the army, um, I was getting to, 
you know, I went skiing in New Zealand. I went trekking in um, Australia. I went mountaineering in Nepal and Bolivia. I went diving in in the Maldives. Um, I, you know, I led, the, you know, I, I sort of was there as their physiotherapist on some some of the things. And the reason those opportunities exist is if you're sending people to war, there has to be the down parts of it as well, and the the parts that want to keep people. Because if you mm. keep sending people to war, you learn different skills that sometimes need strengthening but actually when you've been in a heightened situation you sort of need to decompress almost yeah and and actually go right you're not going to be doing that when you get home so you you don't need to be getting your weapon out when you're in a supermarket and you hear a bang or you hear a certain noise um you know that is just the tannoy or somebody's dropped something or or something like that and it, it can be quite hard to switch off um so yeah it was those opportunities exist to be able to um, develop leadership so that, you know, if you're in a, a stressful situation, mountaineering or kayaking or skiing, um, you, you're pushing those barriers, but your boundaries, but you see what's cap- what you're capable mm-hmm. of so yeah. that then when you need it in your operational um, situation, you, you, you transfer them across in different yeah. ways. And is that um, is that typical for a physio within the army to go on expeditions like that? Is it you know if there was somebody else that's looking at being a physio yeah, in the all, army? Is all that... of those opportunities, whether well, to be honest, whether you're a for some of the expeditions, whether you're a, a physiotherapist or you're a um, an engineer or a vehicle technician they're open to to lots of um lots of people now some of the expeditions i went on i was the the team physio so for example it might be a skiing um exercise that i would then be predominantly there as a physio but would get the opportunity to to ski as well Um, and and sometimes they were research project within the either the army medical services or the defense medical services where you were looking at so for example the the mountaineering we were looking at the effects of altitude on an individual and so as a team you you were sort of part of that study um but it was because of being in the medical services that that was being looked at if that makes sense wow that's so interesting so interesting yeah so you know so diverse And, and again you know, people often think that the army is for males. I'm actually speaking at an event on Thursday where I'm speaking to the female pilots or the female aviation um, within within the army. Um, you know, and I know that one of those was actually a nurse before she became a pilot. Wow. Um, so yeah, you know, yeah, really, really Gosh. diverse and how how you you kind of sometimes think that one thing is your direction Mm. sometimes because you don't think you're good enough at doing something else or you think it's not open to you Mm. but then you realize actually yeah why why shouldn't I be able to go and do those those different things yeah and yeah very fortunate well it's it's just all that it's saying yes to opportunities as well isn't it that can be the scary part absolutely and I always say I'm one of my roles now which I'm very fortunate to to have is as the national ambassador for the army cadet force and I always say to young people um you know 
say say yes um and often think about how you're going to do that later but by putting yourself out of your out of your comfort zone that is where the magic happens mm-hmm. and if you stay within that comfort zone you don't know what you're capable you don't know what you're going to be able to achieve and if you don't quite achieve what you see as success and I, again i speak about that what actually is success i've got great stories of you know, I cycled across America and I had a team that all did it and we finished it and we were the first all female team to actually do that. But I don't speak to any of those people on that team anymore. And to me, that was a massive failure, although on the outside, it looks a success, whereas there's been other things where I haven't quite. Well, again, the physio could be one. It wasn't successful for all those years. But with Ironman um, challenges, that I haven't quite finished them in the way that you would normally do. But because I've gone out the next day and so the the exact situation was I was doing an Ironman. I'd done quite a few before and thought there was going to be a Royal Marines Iron Distance Challenge and they were having a recce for it. And I thought, yep, I will. um, I'll sign up for that. I know I can do an Iron Distance. I'm not fast. I'm not the fittest, but I'll go out and, you know, give it give it a go. And I, I set off, I did the swim, which is 2.4 miles. And then I did the cycle, which was in Devon, and that's 112 miles. Now, something we haven't touched on with my why I do the adventure athlete thing is um, I do a lot of my things dressed as pieces of fruit. So my surname is Orange, and I have found a way with my new mental health campaigning to make it uh, fun and make people smile and get people to talk with the campaigning. So I decided on the four laps that we had to do to change costumes every time to <laughs> a piece of fruit. So I clearly wasn't going to be one of the fastest. There was only eight people doing it. And then we came to the, the run and I didn't actually get to the start of the run until six o'clock at night. And it was going to take me six or seven hours because it was along the southwest coast path and it started to get dark and because it was a recce there wasn't any signs of where we needed to go I hadn't got a support crew I'd just gone on my own and I thought this is stupid I don't know where I'm going it's dark or it's going to get dark there's somebody waiting for me at the checkpoint halfway and I felt real pressure that that poor person was there waiting just for me because I was last at this point <laughs> and so I went back to the race HQ and I said, look, I'm going to do the marathon, but I'm just going to do it up and down this street. Um, So please send the person at the checkpoint home. Um, You can all go home. I will just run up and down here dressed as an apple um, (laughs) and I'll finish it. I've got I can record on my watch. So I know the distance and I'll just get into my van after. And they said, well, are you you sure? And I said, yeah, honestly, I'll feel much better about that. So I finished it one o'clock in the morning, seven hours later, rolled into my van and went to sleep. Next day, someone rang me and they said, "Um, how did you, you know, what time did you finish? And I said, oh, well, it was one o'clock in the morning, but I didn't actually finish. I ended up doing a slightly different marathon. They went, yeah, but you did the distance. I said, no, no, it's fine. I said, I'm going to go and do the actual marathon, um, the same route now. And they said, what What? to go and do a marathon the day after you've just done an Ironman I said yeah it's not going to be fast but you know I'll then know that I've done the route and where to go and it's light and so I set off um 
and it was incredible the scenery that day was you know I'd got the ocean on one side I've got uh, you know the path on the other and I met someone I knew along the path <laughs> randomly who always the way <laughs> even more random I had left a parcel for her in Antarctica because I say I knew her I knew her through social media but I never actually met her in person but because I decided to do it dressed as a peach this time um, <laughs> and I was you know running past and she said are you Sally Orange and I said yeah yeah and she said oh I, I'm Zozo I said oh it's so lovely to actually meet you so we had a chat and um, then I continued on and the girl who'd phoned me who had actually won she was the first female the day before she said to me she said, oh, I'll, I'll come and join you after about 10 miles and I didn't really know this this woman but she came and joined me and so we chatted all the way and um, and it was really lovely to be with someone so something that you know, I didn't expect. And then someone had heard that I said that I would do the marathon the day after. So they doubled my sponsorship money. So I'd already raised £400. And then I, yeah, so £800. So I'd met a new friend. I'd seen a friend who I'd only ever spoke to on social media. The scenery was amazing. Um, it was kind of stretching out my legs from, from the day before. And when I finished, the organiser of the event actually came back to meet me at the end. And he said, Sally, he said, that was incredible. He said, that is not an Iron Man. That was a nails man, because <laughs> that was just off the scale. Anyway, two weeks later, um, I had a phone call from this, the event director, who it was a recce because they wanted to put it on the next year. And they said, Sally, we would like to ask you to be an ambassador for our Royal Marines Iron Distance Challenge. And I said, but I came last. I did <laughs> all the other things that you did. And I said, well, who are your other ambassadors? And they said, Bear Grylls and Steve Backshaw. And I said, and you're asking me. And so, you know, real honour. But then what's more, they came and said to me, um, Sally, when we announced you as an ambassador, we got the biggest sign up, not when we said that Bear was doing it or Steve was doing it, but when we said you were doing it. And I said, yeah, that's because people will know that they're not going to come last because I'll be the one that comes last. <laughs> but actually, if that inspires other people to go and do things. And I always say to young people, you know, I could have gone, oh, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be good enough for. But I got so much more out of that event than if I'd have finished the woman who came first. They didn't ask her to be an ambassador. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is success? On the outside, I didn't finish it on the day in the way that it should have been. But um, yeah, you know, got so many other things. And I think there's so many lessons in that for, for all of us um, that I would never have got if I'd have finished it on that day. Absolutely. And that just, it just epitomises it's changing the narrative isn't it yeah. Of, yeah. Of what, as you've said of what success is um to the lady that came first that that might have been her goal to have been the first female finisher um but if if you gauge success on what did you gain from it on a personal level your enjoyment levels exactly the friendships that you can make along the way um it kind of takes takes the the finished time out of it and as you said it it was you that was asked to be the ambassador it wasn't yeah. them um 
and if it, it just what a story there um I mean I was gripped as soon as you said just throwing out Iron Man's um, <laughs> <laughs> then dressed as fruit and all of this um no incredible incredible that's amazing uh, I, yeah I do I do think for for young people it you know it really is something that um something can seem the end goal and I'm very lucky that when I did get to to physio it was what I thought it was but actually it was so much more there yeah. were so many other doors that had opened and you know I got to go to you know to different countries because I was still only a reservist well some of that time I was a reservist it meant my weeks were were free to do my civilian job but also to take the annual leave so I was very fortunate that I was physio for Lawrence Delalio, the the England rugby captain um, for a month when he was cycling from Rome to to Edinburgh and you know he he needed you know fixing each day and sort of, <laughs> um and yeah back in back in 2010 and then I was very fortunate to to be a volunteer at the Paralympics so I got to see disability sport and what that was able you know what could be achieved with that and then also the the Commonwealth Games and um, so my physio career is the the starting block but yes that that's only part of the yeah. the story so what made you um so you it, it's taken nine years of hard graft to become qualified as a physio. Yeah. And you got there. Yeah. Then you had the opportunity of of within the military and going to to war, essentially. What yeah. made you what were you not not what were you not content with, but what then made you want to volunteer at the Commonwealth Games? You, you know, what why did you go on to to do that? Yeah, um, I think you know. I think um, service is is something that you know serving others is is actually one of the qualities um, that's looked for or sort of enhanced within the armed forces. You know, it, it's you know others before yourself, and so you know alongside all the other things, I'd volunteered. Um, you know, lots of different things. I did my Duke of Edinburgh's award when I, you know, when I was younger. And so I'd started volunteering from a really young age. And again, I didn't get paid. So I wasn't rich in money, but I was rich in so many other ways um, that you couldn't put a price on and the opportunities that I've, you know, I've had from that. And as I say, who would think me, Sally Orange, would find myself at the prime minister's or getting, you know, an MBE. And I'm not saying that they've happened overnight, but you know, that sense of service, even when I'd left the military and COVID happened, I found myself wanting to go back to the NHS, to the Nightingale Hospital and working working there because it was back with that camaraderie. You're with people who want to do the same thing. You've got the same goal of, of helping people. And when you're with the right people, you can have really good fun as as well. You know, yes, it was difficult times, you know, the same as it was in, in war in Afghanistan. And it was quite ironic that when I started my first day in the Nightingale Hospital, it was 10 years to the day that I started in the field hospital in Afghanistan. So it was fighting a, a different war, um, but it was back in that same kind of environment that everybody's together, everybody was working, not really knowing what they were doing, you know, this isn't something that's 
been done you know everything's changing every day that was exciting and I always think it's the people that you meet and the yeah the experience that you make of it um at, at the same time so but but I suppose it hasn't all been been good which is probably a a way to sort of link into how things are how I then went on to do things yes the voluntary work was always part of me and actually um it, it back was back to childhood when I was eight years old I remember seeing the very first London Marathon on TV and thinking wow that looks amazing I would love to do that but I just thought I was never good enough. I, I'd broken my leg at 16, as I mentioned, and I didn't actually pluck up the courage to do my first marathon until I was 34. So it's not, again, something that happened overnight, but I plucked up the courage and thought, yeah, why not? Why not give it a go? How do I know if I don't give it a go? So I did do the first, my first London marathon in 2007, and I did it as a... I needed to raise a lot of money, so I did it dressed as a superhero. And I can honestly say for the first time in my life, I felt like a superhero when I when I crossed that finish line. And I mean, first of all, I thought never, ever again, because it was so <laughs> tough. Um, but yeah, then this feeling of, wow, I've raised all this money. And that became, you know, a really nice feeling of having pushed yourself, achieved mm -hmm. something that for so many years... I hadn't done because I just didn't feel good enough. And that really, that part of the story is pretty much, that's followed me for many, many years. And, you know, the exam stress of not feeling good enough to be able to pass the exams and, um, it, you know, even being in the, in the army, I was in the reserves, but never joined the regular army because I didn't feel good enough. And it, it turned out that underlying, um, I had chronic anxiety and actually severe depression, which had very low self-esteem and just feeling that I wasn't capable or, you know, I wasn't as good as others. I think I was always comparing myself to, to other people. And quite literally, that is like comparing apples and oranges <laughs> because we're not all the same. And, you know, this was people who were either older or they'd had different backgrounds and, um yeah you know I hadn't had the same opportunities as me so I just didn't feel good enough which is kind of what led to me actually having to leave the the armed forces and it wasn't my choice but because I became so unwell um with that depression to a point where I wanted to take my life I couldn't see a reason in this world for me I felt a burden to absolutely everybody um because I couldn't I couldn't look after myself I didn't want to get up in the morning I I didn't leave the house for for two months and I didn't speak on the phone for for two years because I just had no self-confidence and I just thought I'm completely worthless um despite the fact that looking back now I'd done all these different things but I just got into a, such a really poorly place and you know depression is a mental health illness the same as cancer is a you know a condition that asthma or diabetes is is something and unfortunately um the army wasn't the great place for me to be in in when I was really struggling with this um 
And I know there's some people that once they're they're told that they can't do something, that will be a real motivator for some people. And they'll think, I'll show you I can you think I can't do that. But for me, that wasn't me. I I took it on board and thought, no, you're right, I'm not good enough. Um, so I, I think it's really important now with young people to to show what they can do and not what they can't do. And I've seen that through a lot of my patients and a lot of the charities that I've worked with that, you know, limb loss or different, you know, disabilities that actually look at what you can do. Look at what we have in this country compared to if you had that same condition in a in another country. And I've been very fortunate to travel all over the world with, with the things that I've chosen to do. Um, but yeah, again, it was actually adversity and getting to the lowest point of my life that has kind of helped drive me once again and give me a purpose to go I don't want anyone else to ever feel how I felt and so now the reason I do the fundraising the inspirational speaking the adventure athlete events that I do is to campaign so that nobody else has to get to that point because I was told I'd never get a job if I told anyone I had depression and it's so far from the truth so to be told you'll never get a job to actually two weeks ago receiving an MBE mm -hmm. for the exact thing mm -hmm. that I was told I would never get a job because of um, and that's my mental health so it's not true and yeah I really will do anything I can to stop anyone else finding themselves and we all have qualities in us that are positive and that you know what we what we can do what we can do so let's celebrate them rather than look at the things that we're perhaps not able to to do or we're not as good as other people and you mentioned earlier um about time and i always say with any of my marathons because quite often people will say oh what time are you going mm -hmm. for and my answer is the time of my life I'm not bothered yeah. about the finish time. It's about the enjoyment, the people that I meet along the way, the conversations that I can have, you know, when I'm running a marathon or, you know, cycling across a, a country. Um, it's those people and hearing their stories and what's made them push themselves out of their comfort zone and, and following their journey about after that, what have they then gone on to do? So, yeah, for me, it's more... Uh, more about enjoying the journey and I'm never going to be the fastest I'm never going to be the fittest but I can certainly go out there have fun smile enjoy myself and raise money for charity and that has sort of become my my purpose and talking about the difficult times I've had hopefully now inspires other people to see success is different for us all and that you can do more than you think you can and earlier this year I so what I now do is I sort of take the challenges and I put a mental health narrative to them so for example I have ran a marathon in the London Eye um, because I wanted to symbolize the highs and lows or the ups and downs that the pandemic had on the nation's mental health and then so I was in a, a pod so it was like a bubble uh, I could only see people through a screen and I was on this you know everybody on that wheel was in a bubble um, so, yeah, obviously I did it as a, dressed as an orange because I 
<laughs> that's part of me now of going actually by dressing as a piece of fruit when I do my different marathons it makes people smile it takes away the pressure of having to get a certain time um and it attracts attention and people come up to me and they say why are you dressed as a different as a piece of fruit an apple orange or banana and I say first of all why why not mm -hmm. um and then I tell them that that is my driver now that I really want to change the conversation on mental ill health and so often someone will say that perhaps they've had a problem or someone they know has had a problem and it really subtly starts that conversation so they won't know coming up to me and saying why are you dressed as an orange that I'm going to start talking about mental health but yeah it just opens that that conversation and it's become a way of you know attracting attention I, I then did one um six days later after the London Eye marathon on um World Mental Health Day and it was in a mine so it was actually the world's deepest underground marathon and I called it beneath the surface because you never know what's going on beneath the surface in somebody else's mind so it was really sort of drawing attention to to that and then one of after about 50 marathons, someone said to me, you are completely nuts. And I thought, what a good idea. So I got a nut costume and I ran the London Marathon with a sign on me that said nuts about mental health. Together we can crack it. And I got the Guinness World Record for the fastest marathon dressed as a nut. I'd already done it as an orange and I'd got the fastest marathon dressed as a piece of fruit. So I am quite literally fruity and nuts. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it's and earlier this year with that mental health message, I wanted to take it around the world. So I set myself the challenge of running seven marathons on seven continents in seven consecutive days. Now, I'd already done this, I'd already done a marathon on every continent, mm. and I had become the only person in the world to have run a marathon on every continent dressed as a piece of fruit. Um, and, but yeah, that that was sort of over quite, a, well, actually it was over a year, that the timescale that I, I'd done that. Um, but I then wanted to, yeah, do it into to seven days and really sort of shout about the, the mental health message that it affects us all whatever country continent that you you live in whatever your background we are all susceptible and it doesn't discriminate it's the one thing that you know you could think you don't look like someone who would struggle with their their mental health but yeah do do not sort of judge on that and that was really pushing myself out of my comfort zone but I knew why I wanted to do it. I wanted people to know that, you know, life is tough and there was going to be ups and downs on the journey of these, these marathons. And there's certainly many stories that I can tell you from that, that again are lessons that I've now learned and take forward with me that when I go and talk to others, whether it be a school, whether it be a corporate, um, you know, a charity, that those lessons that hopefully we can all relate to in our normal day-to-day -day lives, you don't have to run around the, the world. And, and even that, I thought, well, there's a potential that I might not achieve this. So I set a little goal inside that bigger goal. And I thought, 
well, I'm going to Antarctica again for the second time. First of all, how privileged to be able to do that. It took a lot of time to get the sponsorship and to get the, the idea into people's minds. But I was going back to Antarctica and I knew that schools, children who I believe they need to know that we need to talk about feelings and um, and they respond really well to people somebody dressed as a piece of fruit they smile and they they open up and they they talk so I thought well I've done it dressed as fruit so why not do it as a vegetable on every continent so my first marathon in Antarctica I did it dressed as a pod of peas because I thought I'm going to be frozen so <laughs> why not be a frozen pea in Antarctica now everybody else it was so cold it was minus 40 the winds were you know were chilling and you couldn't even see 20 meters in front of you but certainly when I ran on this marathon and there was 40 people doing it everyone saw the green pea and <laughs> they knew where they were but everyone else they had goggles on their face they had a buff over their nose they had a hat on you could not tell who anyone was apart from their race number that had their their number on um but me dressed as a green pod of peas <laughs> and again you know I was starting this journey with these people but from day one they knew why I was doing it and I can now slow time go around the other continents but that was almost my kind of um, safety net that if I didn't achieve that big um, goal of seven marathons seven continents seven days I'd started on another journey on another purpose so it wasn't going to fuel my brain going, you're not good enough, you mm. couldn't mm. even achieve this. Um, I did manage to achieve it. Um, and yeah, you know, really incredibly proud of having having done that. Absolutely. And that it just shows it. It's the complexity of mental ill health, isn't it? That, yeah. you know, I'm sat here literally not saying a word, gripped of your stories of just all the experiences that then I have to kind of take a step back of that, that it is that underlying message of where these have been fueled from where they've come from is that adversity is from those struggles that when you kind of just just see them and hear about them they're so impressive so inspirational that then it's the complexity of where mental ill health can be. And it's when you said then of, you know, for, for younger people to try and change their views on that every experience, negative or positive, will lead on to something else. And, you know, that, that you can you can kind of forge that path for you, learn from everything, take a positive from everything. And coming from somebody that has struggled that's you know it, it's such a tough thing to do um but then look where it can take you and you know when you just said then that times can be really tough and I think sometimes it's to to take that step back and say to yourself times might be tough but so am I and this is this is what I'm going to do and this is where I'm going to change it and this is this is where it's going to lead um you know, and not everybody is going to be dressed as a pod of peas in Antarctica. Um, but what is your Antarctica? Exactly. And they don't they don't need to need be. to. Yeah. Um, 
but, but what I say with that as well um, is quite often in life, we're always trying to fit in. You know, I was there saying about comparing myself to other people. I mm-hmm. wanted to be be the same. But in actual fact, I look at it now and, you know, by setting up a business or by going to speak at different people, you're often trying to, you're often asked, what makes you different? Why should we have you rather than someone else? So we spend all of our time wanting to try and fit in, yet actually to be or make something that stands out, you have to be different. So it's two really conflicting conflicting messages. And, you know, I I hated my name growing up. You know, I was teased and, um, you know, it it was really embarrassing. And often people are trying to make a name for themselves. But I think, actually, I was really lucky that my name made something for me. Mm-hmm. And I've chose to, you know, to jump on that and, yeah, go go with it. Something that, again, was really embarrassing. I didn't mm-hmm. like at all, but turned it, reframed it and just went, actually, Sally, this could be your best asset, you know, the, the name, because people remember it. And, you know, it is bright. And in actual fact, I didn't realise this until recently, but orange is the colour of adventure. Oh, so wow. It all <laughs> actually kind of all fits in. And and I think that's, you know, when we said at the beginning, what is my my job title or my, my what do I do? Yeah. They all blend into, yeah. you know, into each one. So, you know, the, the physio and the army led me to adventure um, and, and challenge. But actually now I want to challenge others. So my inspirational speaking is by trying to say, look, if I've overcome this and have achieved this, but my purpose is my my mental health campaigning of never wanting anyone else to ever um, struggle in the same way that that I have done. And to be honest, still do from from time to time. I, I didn't talk about my mental health for years and years and years. And I battled and that unfortunately is probably what led to me having to to leave the army because it got so severe whereas I genuinely think if I got help sooner and was supported earlier then it wouldn't have led to that I know my background is a physio that if someone has an injured ankle and they come to me the day or the day after they've done it I can guide them and coach them of how to manage that if they come to me three weeks later or you know four months later they've got into really bad habits Mm -hmm. and that takes time to undo um so I see that now with with mental health so yeah I kind of my physio drove the you know the adventure and the physical part of it but underlying now is that that time that I never ever thought that you know would happen and and you know so looking at what I suppose my highlights of my career have been it's sort of qualifying as a physio was you know just something that seemed impossible running my first marathon seemed impossible Afghanistan I got to utilize all of those skills that I that I'd learned and with a real purpose of helping things you know improve people improve their lives but Another highlight is is quite funny in that I told you about struggling to get into uh, university 30 years after I'd first applied. So a couple of years ago, I got an email from that very same university, the same one that had turned me down for six years in a row. 
and they said we would like to offer you an honorary doctorate so wow. move over uh dr pepper dr orange is <laughs> in the house and that was for services to physiotherapy and mental health wow um, and then which you know as as i mentioned previously just the two weeks ago to receiving an mbe from her royal highness princess anne um for services to charity and mental health so they are really a blend of, of everything and it is quite strange when you say to people that you ended up at the palace because you run around the world dressed as pieces of fruit <laughs> What do you what so when you at the beginning when you kind of said that um your mum has said oh well, I'm not I'm not sure that that you're bright enough to to go into physio what do your friends and family think now of your you know just sat here hearing everything that you've done um it's just it's just incredible and I just wonder I suppose again is, if if I reframe that and if I if I was smart enough at the time I could have said to my mum of course I'm bright enough the future's bright the future's <laughs> orange <laughs> unfortunately I have a lot of very bad jokes because having lived with this surname for nearly 50 years you you have to kind of you know develop a a way of coping with that because everybody <laughs> thinks that they're the first person to say something and um and now I really really enjoy it but again that's turning it around and reframing yeah. it of thinking oh gosh people are making fun of me they're they're actually you know not at all they're just trying to you know lighten a, a situation and and I feel that my my color and my fruit um I don't need intelligence for for any of this but I do think you need empathy and you need compassion and an understanding and yeah you know I, I think there's so much more academic isn't everything mm. um, yes it did get me there in in the end but I knew I wasn't good at exams coursework I put the hours in you know the same as you know any of the the events I'm going to you know do this there's the planning, there's the getting there, there's the training to to do, which I must admit I'm not particularly good at. <laughs> um, but but I think most of all, it's the mindset. And I truly believe that if anyone wanted to, that they could run a marathon. And I'm not saying that everyone wants to, but I, I say that if you had a friend, a parent, a child, a loved one, that was 26.2 miles away and they were in trouble then if there was no trains no cars no transport you'd find a way of getting to those people it doesn't mean you would get there all at the same time but you would find a way you know look at the the travesty that's going on in the world and people are fleeing different countries they are moving that that distance so if your why is strong enough I'm not saying it's easy. I still don't find a marathon easy in, in the slice. I've done over 80 now. Um, but wow. for me, it takes, you know, that by putting a different costume on, it just changed the narrative. And as I say, it takes away that pressure, that anxiety of having to go for that time. Last year, I ran as a cream cracker because I'm a cre I'm crackers about mental health. But I got that that message out there and I ended up on TV um just saying that yeah you know actually yes I'm making light of the, the situation but if it gets people talking okay. and listening then that's that's the aim achieved with it. Yeah and that's and it's to and it's to find your 
either event or, or, or I don't know, adventure, your expedition, find your thing that you it go. It might be for. knitting, it might be sewing. It, you, you know, there there are there are people who who achieve great things in baking, in cooking. And the great thing is we need the diversity of all of these different careers to make the world go mm. round. You know, I couldn't do my job in the army as a physio if I didn't, if there wasn't an army. And I, you know, with events that I've been physio for, the support team wouldn't have a job if the 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 athletes didn't want to do something but the athletes wouldn't be able to do their job without that support team so Mm -hmm. you know we we need to sort of yeah work work together and we would be nothing if these other things didn't didn't exist yeah even just getting to work if you think about getting into your car if we didn't have you know uh, mechanics to make your car work we we drive along the road and there's uh traffic lights somebody you know does the traffic lights or if we get on the train somebody works on the train there's so many people behind the scenes and that's just a journey to work if you then think oh I'll pop and get a coffee there's someone working in the coffee shop so everyone has a purpose um and it's just which one ignites inside you it lights that fire in your belly to think yeah I'd really like to do that I'm going to get the satisfaction and for some people that's financial and for other people it's actually you know the feeling that it gives them to to do those things yeah and an exciting part is like what you've touched on earlier is that process of elimination of finding out what doesn't do that for you because sometimes it, it can then be then when you do find it it's so strong yeah and you know I think an actual actually fact getting um to that point where I graduated you know there was all of those times where I hadn't but I ended because I went to university twice I ended up with six years where I had the summer holidays so I went off and volunteered in you know I went to teach English in Poland and um you know worked as a singing and dancing waitress in a (laughs) it wasn't quite a cocktail bar but in a in a burger (laughs) bar in, in America um you know I wouldn't have had those opportunities if I'd have just done that one degree mm-hmm. and I also as as a youngster I looked very young and I would have you know I think at qualifying at the age of 21 if I had have done you know people would think that I was still you know 16 how how had I got there and that might have might have gone against me whereas being that bit older um I was seen to have the experience life experience mm-hmm. that the different challenges that had had given me I didn't even join the army till I was 24 so that was even I'm just a bit of a late starter (laughs) (laughs) so what's what's next for you what's what are you do you have plans aims goals um, that you're um, working towards and, and even you know even the MBE even though it was two weeks ago I feel that that is a stepping stone to open more doors. Um, you know, the the key is is often not what you know, but who you know. So opening the, opening the doors, and I now want to continue with that mental health message. I think we've still got a long way to go, and I've been around the world with that message, but I want to take it to the top of the world. So next year, I'll be doing the Everest Marathon, um, and I also want to do the North Pole Marathon, which I've been waiting to do for the last four years but unfortunately the North Pole um, because of the current situation in the world is is not open Um, but yeah that's kind of what I'm aspiring to and and different ways of getting the message out of 
you know other people just to talk and to to listen um and get that help reach out for it it's one of the hardest things to do to admit that you perhaps aren't coping but actually there is strength in that vulnerability and how can people know that we have a problem unless we tell them how can people know to able to help you and I also even go even further and turning it around in that I know I didn't want to be a burden to other people yet I get real enjoyment from helping other people so my me being unwell I was given the opportunity for somebody to make themselves feel good I know that's quite a really that's an extreme way of reframing um but if that if that makes somebody think wow I really helped that person today mm. um and that is the stepping stone to making you feel that little bit better then it's just a different way of looking at things and perspective is is massive it's um it's different for us all we all have a very different map of the world no one person is is the same so again that comparison basically is the thief of enjoyment yeah that's and sometimes just taking taking stock and reflecting on everything that you've done and everything that you've achieved and what you've tried and what you've learned from it um you know sometimes we're just so quick at wanting to progress wanting to get to the next thing wanting to strive for success whatever that is defined by um but it's just taking a bit of a minute to to look at I, actually how have I got here how how have I got this far yeah. Um, and I think, you know, anybody could could do that, you know, whether, um, you know, what age people are at or whatever, what where they are in a career. But it's also looking at the wider, you know, family, hobbies, mm. holidays, you know, what's important? Is it that, you know, isn't that job? And a lot of jobs as well, when we get worried and we get anxious and um, they're not life or death. Now, for me, they you know at times in in Afghanistan it was life or death and I often say with all of the challenges that I've done quite often people will ask me what my hardest challenge has been and I really genuinely say that the biggest challenge was living when I wanted to die that was my hardest challenge and I use that to fuel myself when I'm in a in an event in a marathon an ultra marathon whatever that's not life or death if I don't finish that, it's not the end of the world. Whereas actually, when I was struggling so much, it was potentially the, the end of the world. So that's actually what I see my biggest success as, is being able to learn to manage the way that my brain is. And it's tricky and it's um, unpleasant at times. And it says some really horrible things to me, but I can help other people now by knowing what that feels like and having learned those strategies. I always say to people that you wouldn't learn to swim in a storm. And that was like my mental health, that why, why was I, when I was at crisis point, learning the skills for the first time that were gonna help me? We need to lead those, learn those skills when we're actually doing really well, that kind of make you go, ah, this is why you needed that this is why you needed to learn to breathe properly or to to take time out um so yeah you know we learn swimming at school because it's a life-saving technique but actually breathing's a life you know life-saving technique as well and it's when we stop that that we 
yeah we fail to exist yeah. it's got a bit deep there sorry yeah. I don't know where that came from <laughs> no thank thank you so so much thank you for your honesty um and thank you just for the insight it's been it's been incredible and the adventures that you just kept on pulling out of the bag um it yeah amazing um keep doing what you're doing and I cannot wait to hear how all of these are the marathons have done I'm sat here so for the listeners that that can't see I'm sat here with some of my um race numbers and medals behind me from some marathons and ultra marathons up there and I'm now just sat here thinking oh there's I don't know about 10 or 12 up there um and I did my first ultra marathon purely because I was interested to see how far I could push myself that was my mindset what can I do um how far can I push um and very much like you when you said after your first marathon no never doing that again it was horrible I then went on to do a couple more but um you've inspired me on uh on some of the the adventures that that you've done um so thank you I've taken a huge amount from that conversation oh, thank you and I, um, hope, I hope the listeners um you know do as well and just realize that Yep, there are tough times. There will be tough times ahead. I'm not gonna not gonna lie. Every one of us will go through through tough times. Um, but it's just taking stock and learning from those tough times and and breaking it down. You know, when I was on my fourth marathon in in Dubai, I'd still got three more to go. After eight miles, I was really struggling, and it was in along the boardwalk, and I could see these lampposts, and I just thought I. I've just got to run to that next lamppost and then I'll walk to the next one and then I'll run and then I'll walk. And for three miles, I was only looking at the lampposts. I wasn't thinking about the end of that marathon. Mm. I wasn't thinking about the next three marathons that I'd still got to go on and do. I just broke it down. And with my mental health, there was times when I couldn't look to the next week. I couldn't look to the next day. I couldn't look to the afternoon in the morning. And I'd break it down into hours of going, you just need to get yourself through this next hour. And sometimes it was half an hour. Um, and yeah, so so the it's breaking when things seem over seem overwhelming, and they will do, um, it's just breaking it down and going, right, what can I prioritize? What is important in this very moment and take it from there? Wow. And then you'll get to the North Pole. <laughs> <laughs> wherever that may be for you that's true that's very true thank you so much Sally thank you it's been great thank you very much for inviting me wow what a great conversation um overcoming adversity resilience um I really took a lot from that conversation with Sally finding your purpose um finding that thing that ignites that fire within your belly um i just really i was so grateful to sally for her honesty and just her outlook on everything that she's faced and what that has led her to led her to go through um but also where that has led her and how she's using her experiences to help others um who would have thought that from a broken leg that it would it would lead her to where she is i'm just so inspired 
by the conversation with Sally. Um, I've got ideas going around in my head of what challenges I could do. Um, but I really, I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and I hope it's given you some, some food for thought um, of what your purpose is and how you can find out. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I really hope you can join me for the next episode of When I Grow Up, I Want to Be, the career podcast. Thank you.